Good morning. This past week, I had the opportunity to sit down with a friend and uh, get to hear a little bit of his story of how he came to put his faith in Jesus Christ. And he asked me at one point, he said, well, tell me your story. And I had an opportunity to tell my story. And then I started thinking back after that conversation about what my life was like when I came to put my trust in Jesus Christ and what were the circumstances surrounding that um, Just so you know, I was about six years old, and I'd grown up in the church. I knew about Jesus. I knew about heaven, and I knew about hell. And I could just remember being in my bedroom, um, probably being punished for something that I'd done. And I was very well aware of my own sinfulness. And uh, I just remember sitting there thinking, I don't want to spend eternity separated from God. I don't want to go to hell when I die. I want to go to heaven. And I knew that the only way that that would be possible would be if I put my trust in Jesus as my Savior for the forgiveness of my sins. And so I did that right there, six years old. And I started thinking this week about how maybe you came to faith in Christ if you were younger or you were older. And something that I realized that that I think we often forget is that often, if not all of us, most of us come to Christ. We begin our relationship with God because of the benefits that he has to offer us. And that's, that's not a bad thing, right? That's not really a bad thing. But for the most part, when we come to God, it's because of the benefits that he has to offer us. Some of us, perhaps you were a, a teenager, maybe you were a guy, and you ended up going to youth group because there were nice-looking girls there, right? Or maybe you were at youth camp, and it was hot, and you were miserable, and you thought, I don't want to be hot and miserable for all eternity. I don't want to go to hell. Uh, so I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. Maybe you were an adult when you put your trust in Christ and you, you were struggling in your marriage and thought, you know what, if I come to God, he can fix my marriage or he can rearrange my finances. He can straighten out my heart, the things that are wrong with me on the inside, or perhaps he can straighten out my children. But every single one of us, when we come to God, we come to him often because of the things that he can give us. What can you do for me? And that's not a bad thing, right? That's kind of the arrangement. He is God. He is the divine giver. And we, as his creation, are the ones who receive. In fact, this is the way it was with the disciples. Think back to who the disciples were before they met Jesus. Most of them were just kind of these know-nothing fishermen. I think specifically about Peter. I love Peter. I think he and I would have been good friends. We both seem to be a little hard-headed sometimes, and, and I think uh, maybe we wouldn't be friends for long, but we would get along great at the beginning. Uh, but I always think about Peter, and I think, what was it like when Jesus comes to Peter and says, um, take me out in the boat and let's catch some fish. I'm going to teach you how to catch fish. And he's thinking, ha, Rabbi Carpenter is going to teach the fishermen how to catch fish. This will be fun. This will be fun. I'll go along with that. I'll play along with this, see what happens. So they go out in the boat, and they, they take in a bigger catch than Peter has ever had in his entire life. And I think part of Peter said, if he could do this with the fish, imagine what he could do for me. There was a little bit of that, I wonder what he could do for me, going on in the back of his head. And I imagine it was the same way with all the disciples. When we come to God, it's often because of the benefits that he has to offer us. And that's not, again, that's not a bad thing. Think about how life works and how it works when we live according to God's word and how it li- works when we don't live according to God's word. I mean, it makes sense that when you live according to God's word, when you do what he says, that there are some benefits. Good things happen. Things are a little bit uh, 
nicer. It's a little bit better, right? I think we can all agree on that. I mean, think about your marriage. Wouldn't it be great if you had questions about your marriage and you went to the one who actually created marriage and said, how, God, you are the creator of marriage. Maybe we should give this thing a try your way. Or your finances, the same thing. You are the one who has given all of this to me. Perhaps I should look into your word and listen to what you have to say about how I ought to operate in this area of my life. Or with our children. He is the absolute best parent that will ever be. He is the perfect father. He is the perfect heavenly father. Shouldn't we look to him as the example? And when we do that, We receive the benefits that go along with walking with him. Like I said, Jesus was out there and he's with the disciples and he's calling them and just thinking about who they were. They were these know-nothing fishermen that have gone from uh, obscurity to now they're traveling around with the most popular rabbi to ever live. And I, I imagine, again, I always think about Peter but I'm sure they all had some point in their ministry with Jesus that was like this, where Peter, I picture him sitting there, maybe it's the Sermon on the Mount, and he's sitting there and he's watching Jesus teach and he's seeing all these people and he leans over to Andrew and he says, this sure beats catching fish, doesn't it? All that hot labor, work, smelly, fishing, this is way better than that. Just think, when he's king, what's our position going to be? What is it that he has to give to us? And what we've seen over the last few months as we've gone through this series in Mark, really almost about three months now, is that Jesus is moving his disciples from being consumers, asking the question, what can you do for me, to being followers. And Jesus knows that it's important that they move from being consumers to being followers. Follower lets Jesus ask them the question, will you do what I say? Consumer asks, what will you do for me? The follower lets Jesus ask them, will you do what I say? And Jesus is trying to move them along in this. And what's taken three months for us to read about their story was actually three years of their life that they spent with Jesus. Day in and day out, 16, 17 hours a day, eating meals with him, watching him perform miracles, listening to him teach, having that one-on-one time with him. If Jesus wasn't alone, he was with the twelve. He was with his disciples, and they saw this. And all this time, Jesus is beginning to prepare them to move from consumer to follower. From consumer to follower. And I think Jesus wants the exact same thing for me and you. Jesus wants us to move beyond just being a consumer to being a follower. As I said earlier, we will always, in some way, shape or form, be a consumer. But there comes a point in time in our relationship with him when Jesus asks something of us that we're not ready to give. Maybe he asks us to go somewhere that we've never been before. He asks us to give something that we love dearly and we're not willing to give it up. But at some point we come to a crossroads with Jesus and he asks something of us. And it's at that point that we're faced with the decision. Am I going to simply remain a consumer or will I become a follower And do what he asks. And follow him in obedience. And it's at this point when we come to this crossroads that many people end up walking away. And this is nothing new. This is something that even Jesus himself faced in his own ministry. 
after feeding the 5,000, the very next day, he's teaching, and he's got a huge crowd around him. He's just fed these 5,000. What can you do for me? You can feed me loaves and fish out of just a few. I think I'll stick around for that. But then the very next day, the teaching gets hard. And Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And there are some people who don't understand what he's saying. And they think, this is a really hard teaching. And it says, they turn around and they leave. They walk away. Jesus knows that consumers will quit when things get tough. When things get tough, the consumer will quit, but the follower will stick with it. And so Jesus is trying to transition his disciples from being just consumers to being followers because he knows what is to come. He knows what's coming. And in this section, Mark chapter 13, we're going to read about two really difficult seasons. One of those that Jesus is about to prophesy about is going to happen during the lifetime of the disciples. And he says, look, things are going to be really hard. Things are going to get really tough, and I want you to be prepared for that so that you don't walk away. I want you to have already made the decision that you're a follower, and you're more than just a consumer. Otherwise, you'll walk away, and you'll quit the mission. And so Jesus is preparing them for that. And then he says, also, I want you to be aware of what's coming at the end, during the end times. And so he's got a second prophecy about the way things will be in the end. And he does this for a very important reason. He wants his disciples to be prepared. Now, it seems to me uh, that there are two types of people in the church when it comes to prophecy and revelation and uh, end times specifically. There's two types of people. There are those who dig into it and they love it and they want to try to figure out who is the beast, who is the Antichrist, when is this going to happen, and they spend hours and they've got all these theories and, and they're watching the news and they've got a reason for everything. And, uh, and then there's the other half of the church that uh, thinks those people are crazy. Um, so you can almost divide the church into two groups of people. And I, th- I think it's important that we understand that being fascinated with the end times and being fascinated with what's coming is not a bad thing. It's okay to study it if that's your hobby, but don't be so caught up. Don't be so caught up in the details because that's not why Jesus tells us these things. Not so we can figure out the day or the time or who or when. But Jesus tells us these things so that we can be be prepared. He wants us to be prepared. He wants us to move beyond being just a consumer to being a follower. He wants us to be able to be ready for when things get difficult. So we pick up in chapter 13 and Jesus is out with his disciples. They're leaving the temple just after he's taught them about the widow giving her two lepta, her two coins. And he's taught them about giving and he's taught them about sacrifice. And they're leaving the temple. And I I think maybe the disciples were trying to impress Jesus. Because remember, he's a carpenter. And uh, so he would have had like knowledge of how things were built. And he would know what a beautiful building is and what a beautiful building isn't. And they say, Jesus, look at this building. Look at this temple. Isn't it beautiful? I think they're trying to spark something in him. And this is what he says in Mark chapter 13, verse 2. It says, Jesus said to them, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here on another, not uh, on another that will not be thrown down. He says, look, you see this? This is beautiful. 
This is a beautiful thing that's happening here. This building is beautiful, but there is not one stone that's going to be left on another. And this is where he begins to speak prophetically about what is to come during the disciples' lifetime, that trial and tribulation that they're going to face throughout the book of Acts. So we see two difficult seasons that happen here. The first one is the one that happens in the disciples' lifetime. He goes on, verse 3, he says, While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, across from the temple complex, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us what? Tell us when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to take place? Even the disciples... Even the disciples who have been with Jesus for three years, they've been making this transition from follower to con- from consumer to follower. Their question is when. Just like most of us, we want to know when. We get the indication that Jesus has already shared with them multiple things about what's to come in the future. And they say, hey, when is all this stuff going to go down? We want to know. It's natural for us to want to know when, right? How many of you remember Harold Camping? Anybody? He was the guy that a couple years ago, 2011, he predicted that on May 21st, 2011, that the world was going to end. He's an evangelical radio preacher. Maybe he's on TV somewhere. I don't know. But he predicted that the world was going to end on May 21st, 2011. And he woke up on May 21st, 22nd, 2011, and probably said, oops, maybe I forgot to carry the one. I don't know. Uh, I don't know what he said, I didn't listen to his show, but he was so fascinated with when it was going to happen that he missed it, and, and he, got, he missed what Jesus is saying here. Jesus' point is not for us to try to figure out the day, the time, or season. In fact, Jesus later is going to say, not even the Son of Man knows the day, the time, or the season, but only the Father. So it's a waste of our time to try to figure out the day, the time, or the season. So why does Jesus tell his disciples all of this stuff? And what does this have to do with them moving from consumer to being a follower? Well, I think Jesus tells his disciples this. He wants them to know that things will get worse before they get better. He wants his disciples to know that things will get worse before they get better. Now, why would he want them to know that? I think he wanted his disciples to know that things would get worse before they get better so that they would be prepared. So that they would be prepared so that they would have made that transition from consumer to follower because Jesus never promises. He never says, hey, follow me and life will be easy. In fact, he says the opposite over and over again. You're going to face persecution. Things are going to be difficult and he wants them to be prepared. But I think there's another reason. I think he wants them to be able to look back on this time and be reminded, oh yeah, he told us this was going to happen. He told us We were going to face these things. He told us the temple was going to be destroyed. Jesus told us, and as they think back on the fulfillment of Jesus' words, their faith would be strengthened. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when I look back on the things that God has done, I look at his promises that he makes throughout Scripture, and when I see them become reality in my own life, it only makes my faith in him that much stronger. It only makes it easier to follow after him, to live according to his word. So he's, he's told them that things are going to get worse before they get better. And then skipping down to verse 5, he says this, Then Jesus began telling them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will deceive many. 
when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, there's a phrase that even if this is your first time in church and you've never read the Bible, you're probably familiar with that phrase, wars and rumors of wars. He says, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise up against nation and the kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginnings of birth pains. Now, I know that in the last few weeks, uh, we've had at least two births in this church, and we've got another one, at least one more coming soon, two more that I can look out and see that we've got more babies coming. Uh, And if you've ever had a baby, then you know about birth pains. Even if you have never had a baby, if you're a man, you've never had a baby, you know about birth pains. Right? And what, what is it with birth pains? Why would he say birth pains here? Well, birth pains, when they come, when it's time for that baby to come, the birth pains begin. But then they begin to increase in frequency and intensity. It gets more and more and more. And Jesus is saying, look, this is how it's going to happen. It's going to start off slow, and then it's going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. Things are going to get worse before they get better. Now, the things that Jesus is prophesying about immediately here are the things that took place in A.D. 7 with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And he's preparing his disciples because he doesn't want them to all of a sudden wake up one morning and have this destruction of the temple and all this persecution, the Romans coming in and almost completely destroying the city of Jerusalem and have them wonder what's going on. This is way too much for me. I'm walking away. So he prepares them for this. And what happened in AD 70 actually started way back in AD 64 in a little town north and west of Jerusalem called Caesarea. And it was in Caesarea that some Greeks and some Jews started having some arguments. And the Greeks, to mock the Jews, went outside their synagogue and began sacrificing animals to make fun of their religion. And of course, this did not make the Jewish people very happy. And so there began a little bit of a skirmish. And the Romans, who would normally be the peacekeepers, they would come in and basically beat everybody up so that they wouldn't beat each other up. Uh, The Romans decided, you know what, we're just going to let this one play out the way that it is. And so you have this small little civil war that takes place there in Judea. And it ends up with the Romans finally coming in, and the temple in Jerusalem is completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. And I think as the disciples look at this, and they, he says, when you see the, dis- the temple destroyed, things are about to get really, really bad. Things are about to get even worse. It's about to go down, and you need to get out of town. And so they have this warning. And again, he wants them to know, listen, you can trust my word. You can trust my word so you can have deeper faith in me. Things will get worse before they get better. That's the first tribulation that Jesus describes In verse 24, he goes on and he begins describing the second tribulation, the one that is yet to come. It may take place in our lifetime or our children's lifetime or our grandchildren's lifetime. We don't know. Nobody knows. And be skeptical of anybody that tells you they do, right? All we know is that it's coming, that it's coming. And Jesus wants us to be prepared. Verse 24, he says this, But in those days... After that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the celestial powers will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in in clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the end of the earth to the end of the sky. Skipping down to verse 31, he says, Heaven and earth 
will not pass away. But my heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, except the Father. Watch out, be alert, for you do not know when the time is coming. So Jesus is giving them instructions about what is to come, and he's preparing them. And then he says about when it's going to happen. He says, I don't know. He says, I don't know. Can you imagine a Messiah, the one who is supposed to be the Son of God? If you were creating a fictional Messiah, would you have anything that he didn't know? No, you would make sure that he had the answers to everything. But here, Jesus, as the true Messiah, is honest, and he says, I don't know. This is something that the Father has kept for himself. It is, it's only for him to know. But I want you to know that it is coming, that you can trust my word, that things are going to go down. Jesus wants us to know this. This is the second thing I think Jesus wants us to know. Jesus wants us to know this, that we need to live with the end in mind. We need to live with the end in mind. Whether you're able to figure out when or not, Jesus wants you to know that we are to live with the end in mind. As we watch world events unfold, um, if you're anything like me, you watch the news, whether it's local news or national news or overseas news, I watch it and I keep thinking, man, it can't get much worse than this. It's got to be coming soon. It can't get much worse than this. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is that today we're closer to the end than any day we've ever been before. And tomorrow we will be closer to the end than we've ever been before. And Jesus is wanting us to move from consumer to follower so that we're prepared, so that we don't walk away. And he wants us to live with the end in mind. He wants us to have that eternal perspective. Jesus wants us to know uh, when we think about our priorities, when we think about our life, when we think about how we spend our money, how we raise our kids, how we live in our singleness, how we live out our purity as, as unmarried people, how we live in purity within our marriage, God wants us to live with the end in mind, that the time is coming when all of this will pass away. When he says the heavens and the earth, he's not talking about heaven like where God lives passing away because that will never change. That will remain the same. But what he's, what he's talking about is that the skies and this earth will pass away. He says, but my word will never fail. He says, my word will never fail. So he's saying, look, live with the end in mind. Live according to my word. Be my follower and not just a consumer. I want you to be prepared for when the end comes. Now, it's interesting to me that there are often aspects of our life where we begin with the end in mind. Anybody in here ever taken a road trip? What's the first thing you do when you take a road trip? You pull out a map, right? And you plan your course. Where are we going to go? Where are we going to stay? Modern day, you don't have to really do that. You just put it in your phone and it takes you right there. But when I was a kid growing up, this was one of the things that I loved to do with my parents. Anytime we would go on vacation, I can remember dad would pull out out the uh, Rand McNally Road Atlas and he'd pull out the big map of Texas and any other states that we were going to be traveling to and we would plan out our route. He let my brother and I, sometimes uh, dad would help us, but he let us plan out our route. Where are we going to stop? Okay, if we drive this far, that's this many hours. Are you, are you sure you want to be in the car that many hours? And so we'd plan out where we're going to stop, where we're going to stay, and what we're going to do. And then we had to plan out how we were going to get back. We had a, a plan with the end in mind. If you have ever played a game of Monopoly, 
Uh, one of our elders pointed out, well, most, not, not everybody has a strategy when they play board games. Sometimes they just play for fun. But if you're like me, then you have a strategy for everything, whether it's Monopoly or catchphrase. Um, I have a strategy for catchphrase, which is to sit next to my wife and to hold it until it starts beeping really, really, really fast, then give the clue to my team and hand it off. She says it's cheating. I say it's strategy. Um, but it works, right? And with Monopoly, I have a strategy for what, where do I need to go, what, what properties do I need to buy, where do I need to build hotels, where do I need to build houses, do I need to sell that get-out-of-jail-free card, do I need to keep it? You know, I have a strategy so that I can win in the end. And most of us have areas of our life where we have strategies with the end in mind. Yet when we look at the big picture of our life, we often don't live with the end in mind. We often just live for today. We often just live as a consumer rather than a follower, knowing that what Jesus has for us is better. Jesus wants us to live with the end in mind. He wants us to transition from consumer to follower. Follower. And we will always be the consumer, right? God is the divine giver. But there's that point where we come up against something that we don't want to do, something we're not ready to do, that God's word asks us to do, that we have to choose whether or not we're going to make that transition from simply being a consumer to being a follower. Now, as you hear this this morning, I know there are some of you that are thinking, you know what, this is great. I'll I'll be prepared for the end times. I'll be prepared for the major tribulation when it comes. But I want you to know that, that Jesus isn't just telling us these things. Moving from consumer to follower doesn't just help you in the end times. It doesn't just help you when the great tribulation comes. It helps you today. It helps you today. It helps you make decisions that will honor him in the end. It helps you to be able to go into those difficult situations and work and make it through those small things. Some of you may be here this morning and you're thinking, man, I'm not thinking about the end times. I'm thinking, how do I make it through Tuesday? I've got this own little apocalypse going on in my life right now. And if you will follow Jesus Christ, if you will be intimately engaged in him with relationship and move from simply being that consumer to being a follower, you will find that life is so much better. It's not always easy, but it's better. It's better. Things tend to work out when you live according to his word. As I said earlier, Jesus, I think he really wants his disciples to know what's coming to move from being a follower, from being a consumer to being a follower, so that their faith will be strengthened when those difficult times come. When they face those difficult times, whether it's a great tribulation or just something small in our own lives that seems great, Jesus wants us to be able to look back on his word and say, oh yeah, he said that would happen and it came true. So as he's telling the disciples this, and I imagine when they get to about AD 70 and they see all this stuff going on, the remaining disciples that are alive said, you know what? Jesus said he was going to be arrested. Check. He said he was going to be beaten. Check. He said he was going to be hung on a cross. Check that box. He said he was going to die. Check. He said he was going to rise again. Check. And He said he was coming back. Bank. It's a promise you can take to the bank. It will happen. All of these things are going to happen. Jesus will come back. Jesus is returning. Are you prepared? Are you transitioning from being simply a consumer to being a follower? 
most of us. Most people don't really like the version here in John chapter 13. They prefer what's over in John chapter 14. John chapter 14 verse 1 says this, Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. It's a lot nicer than what we face in Mark chapter 13. And for many, that's much more palatable. But Jesus wants us to be prepared. He wants us to know what's coming. He wants us to transition from consumer to follower so that when things get tough, when he asks that big thing of us, when he says quit, go, stop, leave, give, when he calls on us in those areas, that we wouldn't walk away, but we would follow him. We would follow him. Now, I know there are some here this morning uh, who have yet to put your trust in Jesus Christ. And it would be a shame if we started talking about the end and Jesus coming back and we didn't talk at all about how you can begin a relationship with him. So this morning, if you're here and you have yet to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to let you know that I will be in the back at the connections table Our elders are around. You can grab the person that brought you this morning and just ask them, what does it mean to begin this relationship with Jesus Christ? What does it mean when pastor says this? Because there is nothing more important, there is no decision that you can make that is more important in your life than whether or not to put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Believing that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose from the dead and that through him you can now have a relationship with God. Because it's only through that relationship, it says earlier, it says that he's going to gather those that belong to him and we will spend eternity with him in heaven. This is your opportunity to be a part of that group simply by putting your trust in him. It's not about your good works. It's not about baptism. It's not about how often you attend church or how much money you give to church. It's simply by faith and faith alone that you can begin this relationship and secure your spot in eternity and begin that journey moving from consumer to consumer to follower.